Hello, Pastor Steve Waldron with Biblical Archaeology today. So thankful to be your host, and we're glad you're here with us. Please join us daily and invite your friends, family, neighbor, church family, college students, whoever you think could benefit from this. We're going to be looking at the Codex Leningradensius, otherwise known as B19A. That's how textual critics look at this. So in archaeology, thousand-year-old texts are considered archaeology, the study of ancient history. So let's take a look at Codex Leningradensis, and we're in the popular handbook of archaeology in the Bible by Holden and Geisler. I use this as a textbook. I recommend everybody get it. It's a great book. Maybe this is the best modern book on apologetics, like McDowell's Evidence of the Man's Verdict was quite possibly in the previous generation. So let's see what it says. We're on page 25 and 26. Codex Leningradensis, B19, AM, AD 1008. The Codex Leningradensis was copied in Old Cairo by Samuel ben Jacob, ben his son. And that's according to a colophon writing usually after a book with some identification marks of who wrote the book and that type thing or copied it. And it was from a previous manuscript now lost written by Aaron ben Moses ben Asher about eight years earlier. However, the testimony on this point remains conflicted since, for example, Ginsburg held it was copied from the Aleppo Codex, which... Hopefully, we're going to do a two-part series on that in the near future. And I'm going to tell you about the Aleppo Codex. I mean, it's it's like some mystery thing. I was reading a history on it probably nine months to a year ago. Incredible. Okay, and so the Codex remains the major textual basis for the Biblia Hebraica Stuttgartensia, otherwise known as the BHS. Rudolf Kittel... And Gail Ripplinger, which I know a lot of people don't like her, but she's got some fascinating information about Kittle, employed this manuscript as basis for the third edition of his Biblia Hebraica, the BHK, for Kittle. It's symbolized merely as L, a capital L. And so... Prior to the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947, the Codex Gratis was the oldest manuscript containing the entire Old Testament. Its challenger, the Aleppo Codex, is missing pages as a result of suffering damage during anti-Jewish riots and other things as well. So, this first period, which is characterized in Codex Gratis. Internal differences within textual transmission has an uncertain beginning since it's not clear exactly when the Masoretic text came into being. Now, that is his opinion. I would say the Masoretic text came into being when God inspired the writers of old to write it. And what we have is an accurate representation of that. Although ambiguity surrounds the first period's beginning, its end can be confidently dated at the time of the destruction of the Second Temple, A.D. 70. So, the Codex Leningradus was used for the comparison of manuscripts from the first period of development that led to the Masoretic text. The first period was characterized by the internal differences within textual transmission. 
So yes, at the Dead Sea Scrolls, there is variety of text. There's no doubt about that. And hopefully one day we will go into that. But uh, beginning, what he's trying to communicate here is in 70 AD, basically the Masoretic text gained supremacy. Within the Masoretic text group during the first period of development, there existed many differences between manuscripts. These differences mainly pertain to the content and orthography, which were usually limited to particular words and phrases only. Because there are so few complete parallel sources from antiquity, what scholars will do usually is describe these differences by comparing them with later manuscript sources. The second rabbinic Bible was used for this purpose at the early stage of research, and now in recent studies, the Codex Leningradensis is used. And so there are certain things that are suppositional. <laughs> and that's one thing in a few decades of studying uh, biblical text that you realize that there are certain leaps of logic and certain suppositions that cannot be backed up with manuscript evidence. And sometimes I've noticed even conservative scholars, which I would consider Geisler and Holden relatively conservative scholars, <clears throat> they seed ground just to have unanimity in the field. But I think if you just stuck with truth, anyhow, I'm not saying they don't stick with truth, but again, I think sometimes they just bend over backwards. I know Colin Hemer in his book to show, look, we use totally liberal thinking processes and resources, and we still come to conservative conclusions. There's something to be said for that. Anyhow, let's continue on. When the early manuscripts of the Masoretic text are compared with Codex Leningradensius from AD 108, it is apparent how closely the texts align with one another. These close alignments apply to the vast majority of the Dead Sea Scroll text, as well as the Masada and other early witnesses of the Masoretic text. And that's fascinating. Um, when I was doing some research and did a, a podcast several weeks ago on Masada, I'd never realized they found Mar Masoretic text type manuscripts there dating from the Bar Kokhba revolt, which is about 135 AD. These discoveries attest to the fact that the continental framework of the Masoretic text has not undergone any significant change over the course of, now get this, 1,300 years. And I really think you could make the argument to the time of Ezra, and I really think you could make the argument that this is what was given by God. The second period of Masoretic transmission begins sometime after the destruction of the Second Temple, again at 70 AD, the dismantling of the temple and its systems, along with other changes in social, religious, and economic climate, led to the decline of the circulation of textual variations. And then you had in northern Israel, Joppa, different places, you had Sephora's um, scribal copying going on, and then the famous Council of Jamnia that gave us the Old Testament canon, they say, in 90 AD. And because of this trend, one of the characteristics of this transmission period is greater unity of the text within the Masoretic text family. Here again, the Codex Leningradensis is used to compare manuscripts, texts found in Nahal Ever and Wadi Mararabat, and other ancient translations written in the second period give evidence of the decrease in textual variations. Hence, these texts uh, follow very closely with the text of the Codex, Linen Gradensis. And again, I, I appreciate his honesty in wanting to 
just be 100% straight up with any textual variations. The flip side of that, I think uh, you can make great arguments that the Masoretic text has almost, other than orthography, stylization of letters and these type things, no differences, uh, appreciable differences for a couple of millennia and maybe more than that. So we want to say thank you so much for listening. We're going to be doing a two-part series, God willing, starting tomorrow on the famous Aleppo Codex. I think you'll find it shockingly fascinating. I know I always have. And why don't you subscribe? Please listen to our playlist. A lot there. You might want to make a notebook or a journal. Things you learn every day. You'll have two or three weeks, you'll have a power-packed apologetics library. Go four to six months, you'll have an amazing apologetics library. Maybe unlike anything around in existence, who knows? I don't know of anything in print with that much information in it. It's just what you do. Years ago, I came to the motto of William Carey, I can plod. So I do just a little bit every day. And then one of the guys I really enjoy reading, James Altucher, a Jewish businessman, he says, just improve 1% every day. I doubt I do that, but I try to improve a little bit every day. God bless you, and we will talk with you later, and just have a great evening with you, your family, and Jesus Christ. God bless you. Bye-bye.